to get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, a Baltimore detective is shot in an alley. Did he take his own life or was he taken out by the dirty cops he was about to testify against? We'll discuss the HBO Max documentary, The Slow Hustle. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of Dead on Deadline, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Meow. And finally, <laughs> our captain of everything cynical, author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of Strange Arrivals, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. So, Kevin, we have some thank yous for the podcast, do we not? We do. Shall we do it? Fruitcake fruit thank yous. I didn't get a fruitcake. We got two fruitcakes sent to wow. us here at the uh, Crime Writers on Palace. We got one fruitcake from Kayla and Raleigh. Mm-hmm. It, by the way, that particular fruitcake is in its tin. The fruitcakes, by the way, from Collins Street Bakery come with instructions. Oh yeah. On many ways you can serve them. You can make toasted fruitcake. By the way, there's one recipe for fruitcake stuffing, which sounds fucking disgusting. So we're not doing that. <laughs> but there's one recipe which uh, Henry and I are making, which involves stabbing the top of the fruitcake with a fork many times, pouring a bunch of liquor on top of it, wrapping it in a cheesecloth and putting it back in the tin and waiting a week. That we're doing Ooh. right now with Raleigh's fruitcake. Uh, what's the other fruitcake we got? We got one from Sue. And that's the one we like dug into, cut some slices from, toasted them up a bit. How were those, Kevin? It was actually very good. I take back everything I joked about fruitcake. Well, I have I'd, I'd, I'd rip them off for $3 million myself. I am yeah. $80 million. I'm I am waiting for the rum one. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm waiting for the rum one. And I, uh, I, I actually, Henry and I hatched a plot today. What's that? You know how um, people like smuggle drugs and things, smuggle liquor and things? We've actually decided that like these fruitcakes, they're so dense, by the way. One tiny one serves 20. Yeah. And each serving has 200 calories. These tiny fruitcakes have 4,000 calories a piece. Good Lord. Literally. Wow. <laughs> and when you stab them with a fork and pour like a whole like thing of rum in them, it absorbs it immediately. I'm like, these things would be incredible bootlegging things. You make want, a good oh, Molotov cocktail. You want to send your kid to college with some like bootleg liquor? <laughs> By the way, you don't want to do that because that would be irresponsible. Your kid wants to go to college with some bootleg liquor? <laughs> One of these fruitcakes would be the way to do it. Well, and what do you do? Like, like well, squeeze it out once you yeah. get to college? <laughs> or just eat the cake. How does that work? Oh, just eat the fruitcake. <laughs> it counts as a serving of fruits and vegetables, Toby, that well, way. Anyway, we would love to thank our listeners for that. Yeah, there'll be enough left over, guys. You should come over and we'll have a couple <laughs> I, of slices. I want to come over for some fruitcake. I'll be over well, to see your new kitchen and have some fruitcake. Well, it will be finished pickling in a couple of weeks we'll have virgin f- fruitcake and <laughs> the best part about the Collins high test ba- fruitcake i have to sleep over if i have the high test fruitcake okay, the very best part about the collins bakery instructions and god bless any of you who work at collins street bakery who are listening to this right now the very best part is like step one take out of the tin and unwrap it step two stab with a fork and pour the liquor on step three you know wrap in cheesecloth and put back in the tin 
Step four, repeat if you wanted to be extra boozy. Uh-huh. You can literally do this every week. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's exciting. I'm very excited about this. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> All right. So, Kevin, we do have something else to talk about before we do our review. Yes. So, I need you to say something else right now. All right. Here we go. Yep. Mm. True, True crime, crime update. Yes. yes. This uh, directly relates to the very case that started this very podcast, and that is the Adnan Syed case. Oh. So it relates directly and indirectly to that case. So this case, this is from the Baltimore Sun. The headline reads, Baltimore poised to offer $8 million settlement to family of man exonerated after serving 17 years for murder. So I'm just going to read the first couple graphs, okay? That man is not Adnan Syed, by no. the way. No. Baltimore's spending board is poised to... By the way, the fact that Baltimore has a spending board says a fucking lot about <laughs> Baltimore. Baltimore's spending board is poised to approve an $8 million settlement with the family of a man who was exonerated after serving 17 years in prison on a homicide charge. The settlement, which is due to be approved Wednesday, this was last week, by the city's board of estimates, would close out a lawsuit filed by the family of Malcolm Bryant. Bryant was convicted of killing 16-year-old Tony Bullock in 1998. Adnan Syed's case was exactly the same yeah. same time period. His sentence was vacated in 2016 with the help of the Maryland Innocence Project after a court-ordered DNA test on the victim's nail clippings received a partial DNA profile that did not match Bryant's. Mm-hmm. Hang on. The important part is coming. Bryant was released from prison in 2016 and died early in 2017 at the age of 42. Brian's family sued the Baltimore Police Department as well as Detective William F. Ritz. Ritz! Arguing his failure to disclose exculpatory evidence that led to Brian's wrongful conviction. So, essentially, one more thing. The Bryant estate argued that Ritz failed to disclose knowledge of another eyewitness whose account contradicted and undermined testimony from the only eyewitness to Bullock's death used at trial. Ritz allegedly failed to disclose multiple pieces of evidence pointing to another possible suspect in the case. So, Oh, my God. There's actually so many parallels, including uh, the same personnel. William Ritz, as you right, you remember from Serial, uh, are two lead detectives in the case, Ritz and McGilvery. Uh, Ritz was the lead detective on Anand Syed's case, is now the subject of several investigations in which he is accused of manipulating evidence and witnesses to charge people and convict people. This case is has so many parallels to Adnan Syed's down to the non-matching DNA under fingernail clippings as we saw in the HBO documentary that was not part of Serial that was part of the HBO documentary. The DNA testing yeah. that did not match Adnan Syed's. So I just wanted to throw it out there for people who are still like I kind of think Adnan Syed did it. This is a cop who is known for getting witnesses to say things that are not true, interviewing them multiple times and saying, and he is responsible now for millions of dollars being paid out by the city of Baltimore for getting people convicted for cases exactly like the one that Anand Syed has been convicted for. So that's your true crime update. Toby Ball, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, well, I don't know who the DA is in, in Baltimore, but I... It feels like the kind of thing that like Larry Krasner would say, we got to take a look at a whole bunch of convictions. All uh, of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that would include Adnan amongst, I'm sure, tons and tons of other people. So that would be the ideal outcome of all this. But who knows, like from everything we learned about Baltimore, I'm not holding my breath on that. Yeah. 
What do you think, Laura? I'll be curious to see where this goes, I guess. I mean, that was my first reaction when I saw this news come out this week was, okay, let's hope, like like Toby was talking about, like this leads to some sort of maybe a review and we're going to be seeing some cases where, you know, maybe the end result was not the correct result. Yeah. You know what troubles me, Kevin? What? People who say, I think Anand did it, it's honestly because of stuff from Serial, the podcast, that they think Anand did it, right? It's not because of what yeah. they read in the case file, what they know about the cops. Serial, like, as much as we love the podcast, as much as we know it was important in the canon of true crime, this was a glaring omission. Sarah Koenig's take on the cops, as she said in the podcast, they're basically good guys who got up in the morning and did their jobs, right? This was a glaring omission. She never looked at these cops, ever. She didn't examine the Baltimore Police Department. She didn't examine patterns of misconduct. This was a glaring omission in retrospect. And I think it would have been very important to include in retrospect. And I am actually get very troubled by the fact that as Serial released subsequent episodes in later years with developments in his case, they never address this. What do you think? Uh, that the Baltimore Police Department is corrupt AF. And this particular yeah. cop, the yeah. lead investigator. This, right, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think we've hammered this peg flat. I. This is, <laughs> yeah, this, this does not look good for the cops. And there is, I think, another glimmer of hope for Adnan Syed getting out of prison. Hope so. Well, maybe this will be the year. All right, should we just head to our review? That's a little bit related to this. Quite a bit. Let's do it. Let's get it done. Moving on. Just another officer? Don't worry. Oh, my God. Oh, Sean. Sean. 705 in route. 10-4. Don't worry. In 2017, Baltimore homicide detective Sean Souter was shot with his own gun in an alley. Souter was buried with hero's honors at a time when corruption within the department was front page news. It's an awful thing that happened, but as far as the narrative is concerned, all the shit that the Baltimore Police Department was taking, suddenly people were focused on hardworking cop losing his life in the line of duty. But the stories collided when it was revealed Souter was about to testify before a federal grand jury about a group of dirty cops. The department determined the evidence pointed to the headshot being self-inflicted. But was it actually a hit to keep Souter quiet? I think it quickly became, well, which one do we have evidence for and which one do you believe? I'm not paid to tell you what I think. I'm paid to tell you what I know. And we don't know shit about this case. The HBO Max documentary, The Slow Hustle, examines the shooting of Detective Souter through the eyes of local journalists, former cops, and community activists. It shows that unchecked corruption within the Baltimore City Police Department is a root cause of Souter's death. The lingering question was whether that corruption led another cop to take Souter out or whether the fatal shot was from his own hand. Spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about plot points from The Slow Hustle. So if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs-up or thumbs-down reviews. Now, Laura, I think one thing in our notes we all agree on is that this is a documentary that perhaps could have made a more clear case in one direction or another, but the, the format of the documentary itself did not necessarily do that. Can you just like share your thoughts with that at first? Because that is something that appeared in all three of your notes about the slow hustle. 
Yeah, you know what it was? I, I feel like it was hard for me to follow and I couldn't figure out like why. So I actually ended up watching the beginning twice because I was like, am I missing something? Was I just in like a funk when I first started watching this? And I think what it is is that, you know, we have these interviews from police department people. We have Suter's widow. We have Suter's children. We have the journalists that were involved, uh, all the people that were involved. But we don't necessarily have, like, I feel like one person who's, like, central to the story whose position is, like, we have all the positions. So we have that journalist, D. Watkins, and he's got an opinion on this. I pretty much, like, saw everything in the streets. And in that time, you learn about these police officers. You learn about how they move and how they operate. You learn the intricate part they play into the world that, that we lived in. There was something about the format for me that just made it hard for me to follow this in a way where I felt like I was invested in one side or another of the story. Because, like, we've known enough about the Baltimore Police Department through Adnan's case and other cases that we've been involved with in terms of things we've listened to, reviewed, or studied to know they're pretty fucked up in that police department. So that wasn't news to me. But it was just something about the way that this was told didn't communicate as effectively as it could have in terms of drawing you into the story and making you want to follow along. I'll tell you, for me, the contrast was that we just reviewed Black and Missing, which was like very, very linear and very like they had the right people sort of at the center of it delivering that narrative. Kevin, does that is that a good comparison here of what was missing here from this documentary? Yeah, we actually had some of the same personnel in Exactly, that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I think, Laura, one of the big issues is that the reality of what went down is not conclusive. So it makes it very hard to come up with a documentary that is either conclusive or definitively satisfying narratively. So that makes it difficult. And even though they seem to have been on the ground telling the story very early on and going along with being there for all of the developments, the documentarians themselves don't bring anything to it. And, you know, by relying on the police to do the investigation and then sort of going along with questioning that police investigation, they basically have just become so much of a, a of an observer so far back yeah. talking about, well, it could be this, then it could be that. They and don't of course, add to it. They don't really add to yeah. it other than like letting other people add to their voices. And look, that's one way of doing it. But I think in this case where they don't solve something, right, they don't come up with some new information. It makes it hard to have a satisfying ending one way or the other. You know what? There's like three ways of doing this, right? There's the investigating it and trying to figure out what happened. Yep. There's the um, making a story about the fact that there are two points of view, and then that is the story, right? Mm-hmm. And then there is the just making a list on two sides of a line. And I feel like this documentary was like making a list on two sides of a line, and this story didn't deserve that. Like this story deserved to not be just two sides of a line. There were so many. I think they lined up something on one side more than the other. Yeah, but, yeah. but they did, but they didn't have a conclusive That's... narrative on that side of the line. Yeah. Like I wanted to be on the side of the murder so hard, but they didn't give me what I needed. They didn't. And I really wanted to. And like they deserved it. They deserve that. That was problematic for me. But anyway, let's move on. So um, what is your take on Souter himself, Toby? Well, you know, again, you're watching an hour and a half documentary, and I, I guess I I try and think about 
if I was going to write like a novel based on this case, like how would I envision who he was based on this documentary? And it's easy for me to envision him as like basically a straight up guy, but in a just a completely corrupt situation in which you have to make compromises just in order to get by. So doing something like like helping Penn in that car, knowing that these other two guys are going to try and rip this guy off, like it's one of the compromises that you make and not reporting on when you see bad actors, you know, taking money or shaking people down or whatever. Those are the compromises you make. That's kind of how I I perceived it. And so when um, I can't remember what the guy's name, but one of the cops who was in the weapons gun trace trace squad gun trace team talks about how he had stolen money with Souter. Again, I I kind of feel like that kind of plays into that, which is that you you don't want to like stand out as being a saint in those situations because I think that just imperils you. So just making these little compromises here and there just to keep your head down, that kind of made sense to me. And I think that that's how I could kind of make sense of the whole narrative. When you were saying that there were three different ways of telling the story, I, I kind of felt like... Because I had the same issue that that you guys did. I thought part of it was that there wasn't, there was all these like releases of information as things went on. Like you're constantly getting, well, then, you know, the police chief resigns and then they find out this thing and they find out that thing. And, but there's never anybody whose eyes you're seeing this through. Yeah. And I thought, you know, if it had been me, maybe taking one of the journalists and really focusing on, on them and how they're. Yes. Understanding things would have given it a little more focus and given you somebody whose eyes you're looking at this. And I just kind of felt like there wasn't that kind of focus. Yes. Which I found a little disorienting. I totally agree. And they have two prominent journalists in this documentary. They have Dee Watkins and Justin Fenton, who are probably the two best known journalists associated with Baltimore each in their own way. Dee Watkins is definitely like outspoken activist journalist. Justin Fenton is a Baltimore Sun journalist who is both very well known and controversial in his own way because he's he's the kind of journalist who like, for instance, doesn't pay attention to things like undisclosed and like uh, and activist journalism and serial. And so he's frustrating to activist journalists, but he knows everything about the Baltimore cops and these beats. And he's in this, and by the way, his beard situation in this is out of control. Like in every shot, it's yeah. like you never know, know. which yeah. you never know which I Fenton know. you're gonna get. You're gonna get clean shaven Fenton, you're gonna get caveman Fenton. It's hilarious. I know where the evidence is. Inside his beard. <laughs> pulls it out. But yeah, I agree with you. Actually, yeah. I actually think he and I don't wanna like I actually think seeing it through the eyes of a controversial, quasi-controversial, but quasi-straight-laced white Baltimore Sun reporter would have been a really interesting point of view to do this through because he's at the crux of being the city hall reporter, the police reporter, the longtime Baltimore Sun reporter. That would have been a very interesting angle. Toby, you've just fixed this. Yep. You fixed the documentary. Congratulations. <laughs> Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. 
all of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Hey, Rebecca, let's do the business section right here. Let's do it. I play that music. Oh, my God. It's so wonderful it in my really ears. It really is. You want to know what's coming up on Patreon? I'm dying to know what's coming up on Patreon, Kevin. Okay. Well, we've got a new episode of Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. And it is buck wild. Is that because you're on it? No, no, no. It's not just because I'm on it. It's also because it went completely off the rails. It was actually like a real life book club. Look at Toby's face when we talk about it. Toby, what was the book? And tell us what the fuck happened. It feels like only a few hours ago that we recorded this. Um, <laughs> the book was called uh, A Line to Kill by Anthony Horowitz. And we had quite a rollicking conversation uh, with Rebecca and Janet Farney and Shirley Lairo. And yeah, I think you just got to listen to it because I don't think I could possibly recap the uh, the strange eddies that we followed in this conversation. <laughs> Have you ever been home when, like, my book club has happened? Yeah, you don't talk about the book at all? It was kind of like that. And you're like, why did, yeah. why did I just spend, like, four weeks reading this giant tome <laughs> to not even well, talk about the characters? <laughs> we talked quite a bit about the book, and then it just suddenly, there was other stuff that seemed like it was more more interesting to talk about at the time or whatever. It anyway, was fun, it was a fun though. conversation. Yeah, it was super fun. Toby, you were a really good podcast host and thank you for having me. You don't have to have me back if you don't want. I would totally understand. <laughs> what? It was totally fun. It was so fun. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah. It was nice. It was it was a good group. It was a fun conversation. So many people came. So many people we came. We had a huge huge audience. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Of like 5 people or 6. <laughs> 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 no, actually, it was a really, really good group and very engaged uh, chat as well. So, Kevin, as we do sometimes, we sometimes ask, do we have any Patreon patron saints this week? Uh, yes, and for clarification, these people are saints for this entire week. Oh, really? Yes, they were they were saints on Monday. Yes. And they have, you know, people are like, well, you know, what is the sainthood uh, like, it, it encompasses. Yeah. What's the statute of limitations on sainthood? It's the calendar week, I okay. think. Is yeah. Yeah, what we're going to go should, with. Wait, should we have like an advent calendar for Patreon sainthood? No. Oh. You have a piece of chocolate every day? You do. Yeah. <laughs> You're free to have the chocolate whether you want it or not. Our Patreon patron saints are, and the angels have been standing by. It's Gigi Brand and Karen Greenberg. Bless, bless you. you. You stepped in my bless you. Bless you. Bless you. And thus ends the business section. So, Kevin, you actually have a very interesting theory. Now, listen, I will tip my hand. The entire time I watch this, I just my reflex, my like criminal justice mind reflex is like he was murdered. He was murdered. He was murdered. Only because I did follow this case in the news very uh-huh. closely when it was happening. I know a lot about the gun trace unit because I helped produce the undisclosed series on Freddie Gray. They're corrupt as fuck. The Baltimore Police Department is rotten. And that is not like an opinion that is just true. And we heard that ex-commissioner, when you have an ex-police commissioner in a documentary about a police department saying the department is rotten, like I think I'm comfortable saying as a commentator, the department's rotten. You would not be the first nor the last yeah. to so, say that. <laughs> so, so that that is just true. So when I when I look at like Suter, what you just said, Toby, about basically nice guy, yada yada yada. Like they start on day one, and this is 
like you could be like Mother Teresa and this is your job now. So your job is to show up and this is what you are. And like, what are you going to do? You have to quit. If, if you want to stay a good person, you have to quit. Like, There's nothing you mm -hmm. can do besides quit. Like that, you're either a cop or you quit. You either have integrity or you or or you are a cop. Like that's basically what it's like if you're a Baltimore cop in this era, right? So you actually have an interesting like um, technical counter argument to my reflexive argument that he was definitely fucking murdered. And I have to concede, Kevin, your technical argument to my reflexive he was murdered argument is not a bad. Well, I, I don't target. blame you for your reflexive feeling yes. because yeah, it's corrupt as fuck, and so just and I really it's hard to say. I want to believe he was murdered because there's a million reasons to think he was murdered. Right, but few of it has to do with the physical evidence, which includes the gun. It, it was his gun that was used. You know, it was to the temple, and it happened very fast. So the one of the prevailing thoughts which led towards suicide was certainly the other two bullets weren't seen. They were fired into the air. And to have a cop or a hitman or somebody else, to have him run towards a hitman or somebody that he knows and have the guy take the gun from him and shoot him in the head with it and then disappear within that time frame seems very unlikely. But why use his own gun against him. It is the gun trace unit. Yeah. They are up to their tits in illegal guns. Yeah, that they've stolen from people. They've stolen, that they would just use an illegal gun and drop it or throw it in the river or whatever to have him use his gun does not seem likely. And there's, you can't say somebody wasn't going to commit suicide because they said, I'd see you later tonight. Right? We already know that. What are you going to say? I won't see you tonight because I'm going to commit suicide later. The idea that he was excited about testifying I mean, we know that's not true. He didn't want to go testify the first time. He had to be subpoenaed. And so instead of maybe that the dirty cops want to take him out, I'm leaning more towards he didn't want to be forced to have to point out the dirty cops yeah. and then go back to work. Or he was afraid because he knew his hands weren't completely clean when it comes to this and maybe he'll be arrested. Yeah. And so one option, and I'm not saying that it's the logical one, but to look at and say, do I want to be dragged down and go to jail and be a dirty cop or I have a chance to die a hero and, you know, my wife will be taken care of and, and that's that. Maybe that's the reason I do it. Anyway, I, I, I just... Uh, is it technical or is it that being said I still think he was murdered? That's okay. just my reflexive... I'm sorry. I'm... I think we, we can respectfully... <laughs> take different sides of this, in I, part because the documentary doesn't well, guide us problem. anywhere, right? Well, that's The yeah. documentary doesn't help this. Yeah, I, I want to say, I think the most striking thing to me that I struggled with when I'm trying to decide what I think happened is that we have these two very different opinions on what happened to him. We have the medical examiner's office who says it's a homicide. Yes. I trust the medical examiner. Yes. And then we have this in internal independent review board they calls it a suicide. Wait a minute, Laura, just to stop. Why did the medical examiner call it a homicide? Based on his knowledge that that guy took a suicide, you know, uh, 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 invasion court, whatever they called it, that he took a course, yeah. that he knew the guy took a course about how to fake a suicide, and he did the wrong thing. So that means that it had nothing to do with the physical evidence or the powder yeah. burns or any, you know? But then on the other side, the Independent Review Board didn't talk to Souter's family right. when they were, like, trying to assess his state of mind leading into this. So, but that's what I mean. It's like you have both sides, different opinions. Everyone fucked this sides up. Everyone fucked this up. Both sides not doing things that they should have done and making their, like you said, Kevin, making their determination on, like, Really? 
what the fuck. It's just, it's, it's, it's hard to know. I mean, and that's, I think what I come away with is, I don't believe anyone in this. Right. You know? And that's the problem with this documentary. The documentary could have been about that. The yeah. documentary could have been about how this was so fucked up that you can't know. Like that, and they tried to do that. I don't think it really got there. That's what Mississippi Goddamn was. Mississippi Goddamn was that. Like this was so fucked up that you can't know, and that the whole town trusts no one because of that, and that's why it's a story, right? Yeah. That's what this called Baltimore Goddamn. I don't know, Toby. What were you gonna say? I mean, well, I think that's again, that's why you you follow a journalist because they're the you know supposedly arbitrars of this and. You know, because, I mean, it's clear you can't trust the police. Even the police don't trust the police. Nor should they. Yeah. So I was just kind of interested. Like, they show you that surveillance footage where they're, where they're Sean, like, walking back and forth and, like, kind of mm-hmm. pacing, I guess, sort of. I mean, it's not like he's, like, pacing very far. It's, it's just like he's kind of antsy. And then that's all you see. But isn't that the same angle that the that his partner came through to go into... The alley, like when you seen him too. No, I think he was coming from the other way. Was he farther okay. down? Far, if you're looking down the street, farther down that street, coming back towards the camera. He was on that side of the building and had to come around. How is that more but salient? But that's not far away. But how is that more salient than the footage of him bowling the night before? Well, what? So that <laughs> what does that prove? What does the pacing prove? I, I believe that they inferred that he was working up the courage to go kill himself. Huh. I believe that the bowling footage infers that he was not in a frame of mind to commit suicide, right? Well, I think- What we, I'm basically saying that, is like- That is a fallacy, that anything would show that. Exactly. So is the faith, the pacing thing is also a fallacy, right? I don't, I, yeah. yeah, I don't think you can draw much of a conclusion. It's hard to, yeah. From what I, yeah. I mean, you can't, I mean, it's just like a blob. Like if you told me it was somebody else, I wouldn't have been able to tell you any different. I mean- before a, the internet goes crazy, I, I the video implies I infer. So yes, I no, it's also died by suicide, not committed suicide. Oh, okay. Before the internet goes crazy, it is Veda. I mean, this is I think what we're really pointing to: the fact that we, the four social justice warriors sitting in this room, are not immediately going to this fucking corrupt ass police department murdered this guy, or this fucking corrupt police department like. Probably murdered this guy, but uh, he probably didn't because, his, I mean, I think it points out like the flaws that we talked about, but the storytelling yeah. in this documentary. What right? would that have gotten them? Yeah. If they took him out, they took, what did they get? They all ended up going to yeah. prison anyway. Yeah. I don't know. All right. Well, I think that points to. Yeah. I mean, it's a classic, like, I mean, I think it's the same thing the mob does. It's just like you're sending a message to yeah. other people. It doesn't necessarily for him, but, yeah, you know, then blue line. Uh, yeah. But I think one thing that this sort of did make me think about, because, I mean, the documentary didn't communicate it in the way that I was, like, hoping, but the actual issue of this police department not being able to investigate and solve a murder of one of their own points out, like, this huge flaw. But it also sort of makes you wonder, like, so what is the role of the police here? And, you know, what is the role of the police when we have a police force that is so corrupt and so fucked up that they can't even, like, find out what happened in this case. Yeah. And that we are left hanging in this limbo of we don't even know who to believe what happened in this case. Because there has been there have been a lot of questions about, like, the evolving nature of police work and the evolving role of police and, and how police fit into society and how police can best serve their communities. And when you see a police department like this that is just so broken that – 
they have a guy who, by all accounts, was a well-liked police officer. And yet here it is however many years later and we don't know really what the fuck happened to this guy. You I will know what say, I'm saying? yeah, that was the best part of the documentary is hearing people in the community about his patrolling and how much they liked him because no one ever says that about Baltimore cops. And Toby, I just, I'm upping your fixing the documentary by one step. The story being told through the eyes of both Justin Fenn and Andy Watkins, that would have been a great documentary. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. So let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know. Should they check out The Slow Hustle on HBO and HBO Max? Laura Bricker, what do you think? So I think that this case, this case of Sean Suter, is a case that is important. And I think it's a case that is interesting. And it's a case that you should learn about. Unfortunately, I don't feel like this documentary was done in such a way that I came away feeling like I knew what I should have known about the case in a way that was... I didn't like the way this documentary was put together and the way that it was structured. But I want to say the director in this, who was in The Wire, really like feels connected to Baltimore and really wanted to shed light on this case. And kudos to her for wanting to do that. I just feel like this documentary, for me, didn't do it. And that I actually went back and started to rewatch it because I felt like I missed something or what I wasn't connecting to it. And God knows I can rage walk to anything and I can rage watch anything. And I just, I felt like I had a hard time doing that with this. So I'm, I'm thumbs down. Toby Ball. I think it just needed to be thought through a little bit more. Uh, it's an interesting case. They've got a lot of interesting voices. I'm not sure if it's organized that great. It doesn't suck. You know, I'm not sure if I'm on the downside of thumb sideways or the upside of thumbs down. But I guess I'm kind of a thumb sideways because the case itself is pretty interesting. They just didn't do enough with the actual documentary. Hmm. Kevin Flynn. I'm going thumbs down on this documentary. Thumbs up on an interesting case and the way it relates to a larger issue about police corruption. But I just don't think this documentary was told very well. It suffers from the fact that there is no there's no solid conclusion to this case. And so... It does not provide us anything other than, you know, an outside observer's view. They don't really give the context for other things. So I think it's great to argue about because there's, you know, a really compelling case on either side of whether it's homicide or whether it's suicide. But that alone doesn't make for sophisticated watching. So I'm a thumbs down. I am a thumb sideways on the slow hustle. I think it's worth watching to learn about the case. So I knew about the case beforehand. You did not, Kevin. And now you know about the case, right? Yeah. I think it's worth you learning about the case. And perhaps you will watch the next documentary that's made about it because it'll be great. Because you'll be interested in it because you watch this one. I honestly think it's worth watching this to learn about the case because it sheds more light 
on Oh my just, god, is there another documentary coming out I about this case? I fucking hope so. <laughs> it sheds more light, honestly. I, I, I know everyone thinks about the Baltimore Police Department as being an outlier. I honestly do not think the Baltimore Police Department is an outlier. No. I just think it's gotten publicity. I think the Baltimore Police Department, frankly, is typical. Uh, in our state, New Hampshire, we have this thing called the Lori List, which a bunch of states have, which is a secret list of cops that are untrustworthy. And there is this one tiny town in New Hampshire called Ossipee, which probably has like five cops. And oh, like, it's a rough town. There are like two cops on the Lori yeah. List from Ossipee. They have the same thing in Philadelphia. It's Remember like the half yeah. the police department. Like there yeah. is a police chief in a tiny town called Troy who was on the lorry list of untrustworthy cops. There is an elected sheriff on the list of untrustworthy cops. Like I, I literally do think this is typical. So I actually do think this is worth watching somewhat. I just don't think it was well done. I do think that um, it's like if there could be like a director's cut, like where it was just done a little bit differently. That implies they had better stuff they didn't use. I'm sorry, it just could be great. It could have been so great because the material is great. And for the record, I still do kind of think Sean Suter was murdered. So thumbs sideways for me for The Slow Hustle. All right, that's going to do it for us. But before we go, Laura Bricker, I have to ask, do we have a cat of the week this week? And is it a pony? Please, is it a pony? It is not a tiny pony. I'm sorry. After my tiny pony last week, it's actually a New Hampshire dog. Actually, it's a Massachusetts dog. It's a New Hampshire case. A one-year-old shepherd named Tinsley who <gasps> saved her own this her is owner's life. This is an amazing fucking by, story. I love this. Well, Put on your seatbelt, Kevin. It, all literally. Right. All right. So there was a car crash, Interstate 89, a road I am very familiar with, um, road I traveled to and from college. And the police came along and there's this dog like running around and they followed the dog. It's like, Lassie, Timmy's in the well. The Timmy's dog in the wouldn't well. let them catch him. Until the dog led them to the badly damaged, according to the NHPR story, uh, badly damaged pickup truck. Two people had been ejected from the truck in the crash. They had hypothermia, serious injuries. Tinsley, good job. Unfortunately, then I read to the end of the story and I found out that Tinsley's owner got in a drunk driving crash. And I was like, but that's not the reason for Tinsley being dog of the week. The reason for Tinsley being dog of the week is because Tinsley is a loyal dog and clearly a very smart dog. And like, that's just amazing when you hear a story like this, where the dog was so clearly trying to help her owners and the fire EMTs were just astounded by this dog. And Rebecca, you saw it too. To be clear, the cops saw the dog on Route 89 and they were trying to get the dog off Route 89. And they were like, come on. They didn't on. know there was an accident. And the dog wouldn't, they had no idea. The dog would not come. And they were, they had to keep following the dog. And the dog was like, no, the dog would not approach. They knew the dog was a domesticated dog. And they were like, fuck, come on, dog, come on. The dog was staying in the road, would not approach. The dog was like walking away from them led them to the broken guardrail and to its owners in this truck that had run off the road. Legit Alassie story. It mm. was incredible. Pretty amazing. Way Pretty to go, amazing. Tinsley. Not way to go, Tinsley's dad, who had gotten intoxicated before driving. But way to go, dog. Thank you, Laura Bricker. Yeah. It was an excellent dog of the week. All right, Laura Bricker, if folks want to follow you on Twitter and maybe pitch to you future animals, literally any kind, I'm a big fan of tiny ponies, by the way, and dogs, to be cat of the week, how can they find you on Twitter? 
They can find me at Laura Bricker. I mean, and if they want to give me a tiny pony that I can fit Same. in the back of my Ford Escape, I will totally take the tiny pony. Hey, we got two fruitcakes, so maybe you'll get a We've tiny pony. We've got a pony. barn, by the way. We actually have a legit barn. A tiny barn. <laughs> a tiny barn for a tiny pony. And of course, yeah. you can also email your cats at theweektocrimewritersona at gmail.com. Uh, Toby Ball, folks want to send you a tiny pony. How can they find you on Twitter? I don't want a freaking tiny pony. <laughs> yes, you do, Toby. You have a brand newly, uh, like, property line situation that would perfectly fit a tiny pony. How, yeah. how can they find you on Twitter to send you one? Uh, at Toby Ball and H. And Kevin Flynn, if folks want to tweet to you and tell you how to convert our barn into a tiny pony barn, how can they find you on Twitter? Don't. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. But if they did want to, how could they find at you there? Kevin B. Flynn. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join the amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. You can find that by going to Facebook.com, searching for Crime Writers On. You'll find our page and then hit join the group. Support the show at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. You'll get the Crime Writers On after show right now. Plus, Mary with Podcast, Lara Bricker's Leave It to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcast. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the incredibly handsome and beautiful Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. Not beautiful. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we talk about all the great things the Baltimore Police Department has done. Just kidding. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. I love Anne. Anne is yeah. my idol, by the way. She's gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's super. She's, that she's awesome. That makes people become your idol because they're beautiful? No, no. It, she's gorgeous, not just physically. She's, she's, oh. she's an aura of That's gorgeousness. That's what Toby and I say all the time. Oh, she's gorgeous. Not physically. No, no, she is physically gorgeous, but that's not it. Like, it doesn't end there. It doesn't no. end there, yeah. It's it's like reading Playboy for the articles. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh.